Does your bike need some love? Shimano Original Replacement Parts are the best way to renew the original function of your Shimano-equipped bike. Available online and at your local retailer. From Red Kite Prayer, this is The Pace Line, the podcast on two wheels. I'm Celine Yeager, and with me is my co-host, Patrick Brady. Each week, we take a look at how cycling fits into our lives. Welcome back. Here we are again. Yeah. So tell me, what are airports like today? I don't know. I didn't fly. Oh. (laughs) (laughs) If we were a truly professional operation, we'd edit that out and I'd, I'd start over. But, no, uh, no, that's totally cool. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, actually, to my knowledge, nobody flew to the oh. camp. There was somebody who came in from Texas and they drove 17 hours. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Give that person a I, medal. There was, they, they were really into it. Um, and there was somebody who came down from New York. They also drove. I, again, to, the only person that might have flown was a pilot <laughs> who drove. <laughs> <laughs> who flies his own planes. He might have flown, um, but everybody else drove. Okay. Wow. Um, and so how many people were at gravel camp? Well, your pool, were, your pool is all about this. So I guess we're into yeah, your pool yeah, yeah, already. But I don't have a whole lot of logistics about it, but there were about, I think, uh, about half. So I think 10, you know, uh-huh. because it's usually 20. So it was like half capacity. Okay. Okay. Neat. Um, yeah. And how many actual days of, of riding was it? Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. five. Oh, wow. That was, yeah, it was, a, it was full. It was full. It was, um, dude. Yeah. I mean, it was, um, it's funny because when I was pitching it to people, I got a lot of people saying I'm not in shape for gravel camp. And I was like, isn't that the idea about gravel camp is to like, you know, sort of like <laughs> a, to, to get in shape or to get fit or to get your skills. But those were fair. Those were actually fair concerns now that I was there because uh, we were in the Appalachian mountains and there were numerous climbs that um, were long. You know, I mean, the last, the, the last big day had a 12 mile climb, Ooh. you know, there were, yeah, and the days were hot. You know, they were not, they were not they were not cool. It's July and truly sort of the south, not deep south, but it was definitely it was definitely warm. Um nice to be most of them were shaded, but you really did need a base level of um mm-hmm. fitness to enjoy yourself and to be able to learn the skills, right? Because if you're dying a million deaths, you can't really concentrate on you yeah. know the other stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've picked up on how my skills go to hell when I'm completely shredded. Everybody, everybody. So, yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, well, why don't you roll on into your pool then? Yeah, cool. It was um, you know, it was it was that it was a really 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 I wasn't really sure what to expect because I haven't done a camp like this. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I've I've helped out at uh kids camps and, you know, all that some women's camps, but I, this is it's been a while and this is the first time that I was sort of participating there's a quasi pupil and also being a presenter but it was um 
it was really cool. Like the first day we rode to a bike park and did skill work. So like, you know, there was a teeter totter, which I did not go over because maybe on my mountain bike, but certainly not on my gravel bike. But, um, you know, we worked on the front brake and the back brake and then breaking together and just like giving people a feeling of like how that feels, you know, like get, go up to 15 miles an hour and like slam on that back brake on this straightaway on dirt. What does that, you know, what does that do? Try to mm-hmm. go into that corner and then see how that affects your handling. And then they took, you know, cones and it was, a, it was, it was good. At first I was like, Oh, we're going to like have some broken people for first day. <laughs> but um, it was like a sketchy off camber group, parking lot you know with like loose chunky gravel and they set up cones and just practiced cornering like go down the slope and Uh into the corner and through these ruts and stuff and it was it was a really good safe way in my opinion to like show people how to keep their chin up and to look through the corner and how you know what to do so that was all that like did some bunny hopping you know that was all like the first day just to like get people comfortable with with those nuances so they weren't going into them just completely you know and i think mm-hmm. also for the coaches to get a sense of where people were right yeah. like it's it, yeah. it serves a, it serves a dual purpose for sure a diagnostic um, yeah 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 it was it was good and then the following day they did power tests i didn't do any i, I did not participate in that but the, the the paid campers did a one minute and then a 20 minute uh, power test up uh, mm. up a long climb, and then Hunter did his thing. And I don't know how well you know Hunter Allen, but he does. He's he's very, very, very good at his analytics. Uh-huh. You know, he's a he's a he's a very. There's a reason that he wrote the book on training with the power meter for sure. Like he's right. real good with that stuff. And he just you know he would send he would show up people's files and you know just show where they're where they're losing power and how to apply power and like all this stuff. And it was just, uh, it was very educational. I mean, even if, even if you, even just wa- even watching him go through other people's files, you could sort of take something away from yourself. So super enjoyed that. Um, and we had, like, it was just a really nice chance to try. They have different sponsors, obviously. So we got to try some different foods and some different drinks. And then Saturday was the big day, and that was 65 miles and 7,500 feet of climbing. Ooh. So it was, yeah, these were, they were big days. Uh, the guy that drove from Texas was, he had never been up such, like. Oh, yeah. He had never. I, I, I went by, I, I got a chance to do some, because I, I wrote that book on climbing, you know, so I got a chance to, I rode back with him on a couple climbs and just sort of talked him through, like here's where to like put your headspace you know? and here's where to like how to breathe. Um, but that was really lovely. Cause halfway through that one, they had a lunch stop in a, in a swimming hole in Otter Creek, which uh-huh. was cold, but amazing. So it was like they had, we had packed our sandwiches earlier in the day and we had sandwiches and spare clothes. And we just sat in the Creek and ate our sandwiches and cooled off and then changed. And then we had the hour long climb, which for some people was, even lot like it was even longer than an hour uh which was cool i mean it was like a new mm-hmm. day you know like you're all cooled down you went up and it was really it was very awesome to see people develop over the uh over the week uh-huh. you know like you like most people were definitely were coming from a road background for sure you know so just helping them understand lower tire pressure 
you know, helping <laughs> yep. them understand. Like that, that alone is a huge, it's huge, right? How to sort of like work with your feet, you know, I, I, like flatten those heels, you know, like giving them some mountain bikery tips mm-hmm. that really help with bike control that you just don't think about as much, you know, when you're on the road. Um, balancing the weight on the bike, you know, when traction gets a little wonky going up and down you know there was a there was a very steep sketchy descent at the on saturday that you could easily lock up both brakes you know if you got scared and just and just skid out and tumble if if, but it was it was really cool to watch people progress and watch them become more comfortable uh and it the whole thing brought home to me how now is really 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 a good time to work on yeah stuff like this you know, I've been saying it. I've sort of been giving it lip service, um, but it it just really brought it to stark relief of how useful it is, like how useful it is to take this time that we have now, because all too often, like once everybody's sort of in the thick of things, they, they're super hyper focused on fitness. You mm-hmm. know, they're super hyper focused on they don't want to take time away from, quote unquote, training, which in most people's minds almost always means like intervals and that kind of work to do skill work, which really should always be part of your training because it became very clear to everyone. It doesn't matter if you get to the top of the climb before everybody, if you aren't confident on your bike handling on the other side, because people are just going to fly by you Mm -hmm. and you're going to have to work so hard to make up that, you know, you're going to end up at the unbalance working harder than someone who may be a little less fit, but is more confident and skilled. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, there's like no question. Um, so I, I, you know, I think that's true for all disciplines in general, but definitely ones with higher technical demands like gravel, uh, mountain biking and cyclocross. Like I know our local racers are pretty bummed. I, everyone, we already have glued their tubulars by now, you know, <laughs> cross <laughs> was coming across exactly because cross is not kind of coming this fall. You know, some of our series have always already been canceled, but there are quite a few clubs and local coaches who are who are going to run clinics instead and i would encourage really encourage people to consider that uh you know like in town we have our it's a pretty established course they just have to sort of mow it and tape it and stuff but uh there's definitely going to be clinics held in town and you can do that very spread out and very safely and then people can come whenever they want during the week but even when I was racing cross pretty competitively, I had the ugliest dismounts and remounts, you know, because I, I, I did zero practice and I know I lost, I 100% lost time on, on, on those situations. And I was at, during those years, 100% as fit as I could possibly be. If I wanted to be any better in bigger races, I could have easily gained time by mm-hmm. practicing that mm-hmm. easily. And no matter where your fitness is, actually, skills is a place where you can pick up some super easy speed. Yeah. Like smooth, smooth is fast, skilled is fast, confident is fast. And even if you don't care particularly about being fast, those things also make riding more fun. Yeah. 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 Everybody enjoys feeling like a badass. Turns out that's pretty universal. Totally. And be and and not being terrified. Mm. Everyone enjoys that, too. That's that's fun. Yeah. Um, Her movies accepted. Fair. So I'm doubling down, encouraging people to work on stuff that they know holds them back right now, Um, because then you'll have it in your back pocket ready to go to work in with your fitness. And you'll be like. Biking will be that much better for you. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know that this is all that necessary right now, but would you like um, a corollary? Sure, why not? So yesterday I went out for a gravel ride uh, with a buddy of mine here in town and we went down to a place, uh, Sonoma Mountain, uh, near us, a little bit of road riding to get there. And this is a place where I, I, with one exception, I have only ridden gravel bikes there and it's really fun. There are some very tight switchbacks on it. It gets reasonably steep, but not super crazy steep at any point. Mm. Maybe mm-hmm. 15, 16%. And I, the, there were places where the trail is a little more torn up than it used to be. Mm-hmm. And I have not done grasshoppers since February. That was the one I did. Mm-hmm. The one and only. Yeah. Yep. So I, I don't have long miles in my legs. I don't have that much intensity in my legs. Sure, I'll go out for a ride and I'll go hard at some points, but I haven't done anything that super taxed me over, Mm -hmm. say, five hours since last year. Okay, and then because I haven't been doing grasshoppers, I haven't had anything that's really been all that challenging to my handling skills on, you know, what one one gravel ride this summer. I got myself into a circumstance where it's like I'm going to kiss the ground if I don't kiss the ground. (laughs) Uh, and i was so grateful i didn't actually kiss the ground but i was that grateful that i actually rode that out uh because i went bouncing from rock to rock to rock until the bottom um i i'm still amazed that i didn't crash on it i can feel how terrified i was from that moment (laughs) um but i you know i found myself in circumstances yesterday where there were little sections that i have ridden every other time I've been in that park and stuff where I was clipping out and dabbing my front wheel, dabbing my, my foot and to mm-hmm. get help, get my front wheel over stuff. Cause mm-hmm. there were things that were just, I mean, it was not, it was smoother in the past, but this, there was a gap between what I was willing to try to take on and you know, what I was accustomed to in that circumstance. So there were all sorts of spots where, yeah, I've ridden that previously. And, and yesterday I was like, nope, nope, not yep. going there. And so I was amazed. I was humbled. <laughs> okay, let's be honest here. Uh, I was humbled by how yesterday went for me. And I wasn't even tearing down the descents after we turned around. Um, yeah. Part of that was I had overinflated the tires. Uh, the tires. Makes I was a big re- difference. Yeah. And I mean... We're talking, I was, I was pumped up to, uh, 33 and 35 PSI in those tires, their forties. And really those tires feel good at about 27. And Mm -hmm. I thought, eh, I'm going to, I'm going to bring these up a little. No, it was the wrong move. It was absolutely the wrong move. I, I would have been more comfortable on the descent with less pressure. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to create a circumstance for myself to go out and work on some skills again without doing anything. Really they get stupid. rusty. They get rusty. Yeah. Yeah. They well, really do. I remember that from, from when I was doing triathlon, um, you know, I was spent so much time on my tri bike and, and on the road and I was super, super fit. And then I got on my mountain bike for the first time in months and almost killed myself. Because I was just like, I'm so fat and I'm so rusty. I'm just like running into everything. Because it's just, you know, they, yeah. 
wow. They come yeah. back, but eh, right, right. You know. <laughs> yeah, but I've I got to sharpen some, those tools. I've got a little work ahead of me. Yeah, yeah. Um, wow. Uh, well, that's cool. Um, so, is this going to be a thing that happens every year? Hopefully, I mean the the whole COVID weirdness aside, but is this going to yeah, be a recurring? Yeah, for sure, thing? for sure. That um, I I I felt like it was a big success. I mean, I, I, everybody seemed really happy, and uh, you know, Hunter definitely extended an invite. If, even if I wanted to come back, there's going to be one in the fall. Um, I'm I'm thinking about it. I have my deadline schedule is what would keep me from doing it. You know, I have a lot on my plate, uh, but might be able to squeeze it in, but definitely, uh, you know, I'm going to participate in more. There's going to be another one next May. You know, he's definitely going to run more and there. It's just a, it's a really fun time. I mean, even, even mm-hmm. with COVID and everything that we had to do to sort of work around that, it was still, um, yeah, you know, just, it was nice to feel somewhat normal. It was nice to like get outside and, and do some of this stuff and feel some camaraderie and, um, yeah. What's that like? But, yeah. Right. But during like normal times, it's got to be amazing. <laughs> like uh-huh. when you're when like, yeah, what? Like, yeah, yeah. Wow. Oh, that's uh, really cool. Uh, well, maybe I can make that happen for myself someday. You would love it. It's really fun. It sounds it. And I just you know getting to ride gravel bikes in a place other than California, I there's not another form of cycling that makes me as excited about wanting to ride in all 50 states as gravel. Does. I understand that. I feel, I, I feel that, um, you know, that my, my mountain bike has been that for me for many years, but I feel that even a little more with gravel, cause you can often go some of the same terrain and further, mm-hmm. Do you know? Yeah. yeah. Well, and it Except just makes... for the extreme stuff, obviously, you know, the extreme stuff is the extreme stuff, but right. Right. But even where there's no mountain biking to be had, there's you can take like like a Kansas or mm-hmm. like, you know, like those places you can go hundreds, hundreds of miles, as everybody knows, you know, like <laughs> yep. and see some some stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. We're going to take a short break for our sponsor, Shimano, and we'll be right back at Shimano. We love riding and we know you do, too. As a small repayment for all the joy your bike has brought your life. We encourage you to maintain your bike regularly. Genuine Shimano replacement parts will keep your Shimano-equipped bike running smoothly. Whether your bike is built with 105, XTR, or our new gravel group, GRX, a well-maintained bike will operate better and go faster. Worn out a chain? Consider that a badge of honor. You've been riding a lot. Does it sound like metal on metal when you hit your rim brakes? That's a sign it's time for new brake shoes. What if your disc brakes don't feel as crisp as they used to? Cool, you've been going fast. Give them a bleed. Does your chain skip on smaller cogs? You're using all your gears, and now your cassette is shot. Is that old saddle creaking? It may be fatigued because of all the miles you've put in. Consider a saddle from Shimano's Pro line of components. And what about your feet? Cleats can and do wear out, especially the right cleat if you're a cyclocross racer. Whether it is the plastic cleat on a road shoe or metal SPD cleat, they can and do wear out. To keep that love burning bright, show your bike a little TLC and take it by your nearest Shimano dealer to keep it running just like when it was new. All right, we are back with the pace line. Patrick, what is your poll this week? Well, I've got listener questions this time around. Right on. So the first one is from a fellow named Andrew, and he writes, I purchased my S-Works Tarmac. SL5 with BB30 
last spring and generally love the bike. That's always a really interesting way to start things. You know, when you insert a word like generally (laughs) after a few weeks, maybe a month, I started getting the creaking bottom bracket. This was a fully stock setup. He says my shop worked on it, namely took the BB apart, cleaned it, regreased it and put it back together. Things were fine for a couple more weeks. And then the creak returned. The shock recommended an aftermarket threaded BB, and I got one from Wheels Manufacturing. This was great for about 10 months, no problems. But starting back in late March, early April, I started get the creaking again. I tried servicing it with no improvement and eventually took it to another specialized dealer. The shop I got my bike from closed last fall. Sad face. Uh, the owner of this second shop happened to chat with me for a bit while I was waiting for the mechanics to take my bike. And he told me he had never experienced any problems with press fit BBs. Really? That's what he told him. <laughs> and Andrew writes, this struck me as total BS. And I almost walked out right then. But the next yeah. closest specialized dealer to me was over an hour away. Andrew, we don't blame you. <laughs> Moving right along. Yeah. After I got my bike back, it was better for about a month. And then the creek returned Mm. again, still using the aftermarket BB. I just dropped it off again yesterday. This has been more than a week since we got this. Uh, And when I asked one of the mechanics for a better solution than coming in every month or two to have them look over the BB, he said that sometimes they just need to be retorqued. Not terribly satisfying, he writes. The shop called me earlier today, and the the mechanic I spoke to was suggesting to purchase another aftermarket BB of a different brand. For now, I just asked him to take it apart, clean it, and put it back together. I am expecting to have a creaking BB again in a few weeks. My understanding is that creaking BBs are a manufacturing fault of the frame or a QC problem with the holes either being off-centered to each other, not round, too big, too small. I've got so much to say on this score. (laughs) I'm going to lead with the the first thing I'll say is that there are so many variations of bottom brackets at this point that we can no longer claim to have standards. We just have a bunch of market challengers. They're all fighting for air. Uh, And this is not going well for us. Um, and I'll, I'll also say this just to get out of the way, press fit BBs need to go away. Okay. <laughs> I, I hate that, them. What? I, oh, I hear you. I hear you. I, I, I'm, I'm racking my brain. I, I reviewed, I believe it was a salsa. It might've been the cutthroat. It was definitely yeah, I, th- I think it was a cutthroat. They had a press, it definitely had a press fit BB, and they they gave me some reason geometry wise for it, and I'm blanking on. Do you know why? Like that might. Yeah. So okay. So uh, an English bottom bracket uh, can only be it's it's 68 millimeters wide. Okay, it can only be so wide. Okay. But you can, given where pedals are normally uh, situated relative to each other mm-hmm. and where the, the cranks are, there's more room in there to have frame. 
okay, you can make the bottom bracket portion of a frame wider, increase stiffness, okay? Mm-hmm. But to do that, you've got to have a different sort of bottom bracket than the traditional English threaded kind. And so mm-hmm. the wider you make the bottom bracket portion of the frame, not the actual bearing assembly, but the wider you make that portion of the frame, the more you have to do something to hide the bearings actually inside the frame rather than in something threaded that, that threads into the frame itself and the bearings mm-hmm. sit outside. So that's, that's basically the issue. Um, but I mean, the creaking bottom bracket, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. It is definitely a thing. Yeah. So I spent some time talking to some very smart folks. I know, including good people, uh, at Enduro bearings, uh, by the way, thanks Matt and John, (laughs) as well as some shop mechanics. I know, uh, you know, I got a whole lot of people asking me questions, uh, back about the quick release, Mm -hmm. uh, headsets, other possible culprits because I didn't get to inspect Andrew's bike. I can't swear that nothing else is up with his bike, but Specialized road bikes have had issues with creaky bottom brackets, and he's had a capable shop, two different capable shops, go over his bike. And so I'm going to think that they've gotten on top of any other concerns. What I will say is that, yes, that can be a real source. You know, there are other places that can be a real source of creaking. Years Mm -hmm. ago, the giant TCR, if you remember that bike. I do. They were known for being very creaky. And people would look at the bottom bracket and they'd do things and they'd look at the headset and they'd do things. And nine times out of 10, it was because the quick release skewer in the, for the rear wheel yep. was not tight yep. enough. Uh, you almost couldn't get it too tight, but if you did get it tight enough, it's the Creek stopped. Um, I had one of those. Yeah. So that Andrew's bottom bracket began squeaking so soon after he purchased the purchased the bike is truly something of a surprise for me. It doesn't usually happen that quickly. And I have to say, it's a real shame that the second dealer he visited would tell him such an obvious lie. Uh, that's just yeah. sort of unforgivable. You know? I, yeah, I mean, it's that is nothing short of a lie. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Um, now, it is true that trying to do precision molding molded bearing seats in carbon fiber That's not easy and it requires very careful layup work and sometimes even needs subsequent machining in the finish work, but it can be done. Okay. There's a thing such uh, known as net molding and Trek was doing that for bottom brackets and uh, headset seats uh, 14, well, at least 12 years ago. Yeah. 12 years ago they were doing that. So you can do precision molding of carbon fiber, but that that's not the, the sole source of the problem. Mm-hmm. The big problem I see is that bottom, the bottom bracket absolutely must be removed with the proper bearing removal tools so that the bearings uh, are pulled without introducing any angular load. So if you see a mechanic uh, who uses anything other than a proper bearing puller uh, to walk the bearings out, like a little tap on this side, a little tap on that side, and just walk them out. No, 
That's already the beginning of the damage that's going to make the creek absolutely permanent. Uh, my experience says that the problem usually starts at this point, uh, not at the point of manufacture, but because his trouble started so soon in the life of the bike. In this case, there may have been something off in the manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I've never been in a situation where a thread together bottom bracket like those from wheels manufacturing or in enduro bearings didn't fix the problem. I mean, mm. it's been it's been a perfect solution time and time and time again. So that he's still having problems now. I don't really have all that much I can say that would be helpful. One thing I would look at would be adding Teflon plumbers tape to the mix, mm-hmm, wrapping mm-hmm. it around the threads uh, before adding grease. But I'd even try working some Teflon tape into uh, the bearing seats uh, for, for the frame. Uh, it, it doesn't squeeze out in the way that grease does. Right. And so, I mean, trying to line that stuff up and get it seated and whatnot, you'd have to go back with a razor blade and trim off the excess. But I would try Teflon tape. Um, and that's, I mean, man, I, you know, after that, I, I'm out. I don't have any other great suggestions. And it's, it's really unfortunate to tell someone, you know, oh, yeah, you may need to just get rid of this bike. Right. Uh, that's, the, it's, but to, it's, it's awful to ride with that kind of noise. Yeah. Like it, it's, un, it's insufferable. Yep. Yep. Uh, and I mean, it's one of those problems. I deal with it on one of my bikes. Uh, one of my bikes that was stolen. Well, that problem was solved for me. Uh, so yeah, there were two bikes I was dealing with that problem. Right. And, Just leave it out unlocked. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. There you that go. That might solve it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe put a little sign above it. Uh, <laughs> help me out here. No. Okay, moving right along. Second question. Uh, can you recommend some specs to keep in mind for a gravel bike? So far, I know, and I don't know who this uh, question is from, unfortunately. So there's a lot that we won't be able to respond to. Sorry, whoever you are, your name. Um, uh, so far, I know I want a carbon frame and wheel set hydraulic brakes, maybe the Shimano gravel group or mm-hmm. 40 or 42 front and 1042 back, probably front and rear through axle and front suspension. The majority of riding will have steep grades in the mix down and up. Is there a head tube angle to zero in on? And then also I was told Michelin power gravels, uh, in the 35 millimeter size are ideal. Uh, I'm going to tackle this one point by point. So our rider in question mentions steep grades. Now that right there makes me wonder if going one by is really the best choice. The simple truth is that with one by you either give up a tiny bit of high end and a tiny bit of low end or a whole lot of high end or a completely unacceptable loss of low end gears. Uh, the steep stuff bites harder later in the day. So if you have a big gear you've been mashing after 70 miles, it might mash back. Uh, so for that reason, when someone says steep gears, I think two by. So I'd look I, hard. I, I, I echo that. <laughs> yeah. 
I, I just do because I had a one by. I raced for a whole season, maybe two on a one by. <laughs> Might just be one. Great for Michigan, great for Kansas, but the stuff here and out your way, <laughs> you just, you're always looking for gear you don't have. Yeah. And, you know, you can't hang on the flats necessarily with people because I, I based a one by at Leadville and it was not the right choice. Ooh. It was just not the right choice. So, yeah, I would, I echo your, your, suggestion there i switch i changed my bike to a two by the grx for that mm-hmm. reason yeah and that that group is just amazing so it's easy to say just buy a bike with grx you, you'll you won't regret it um now the head tube angle question head mm-hmm. tube angle on its own means nothing it tells you absolutely nothing about how the bike handles because you can't know how a bike will handle without also knowing the fork rake those two work together to result in trail, which requires uh, some reasonably fancy math, fancy math involving cosines, math that I cannot actually do, but I keep mm-hmm. a table handy. <laughs> uh, I will say that with most gravel bikes, you want to see reasonably high trail numbers, like north of six centimeters, whereas your typical road bike today will have 5.5 to 5.3 centimeters of trail it's a, a much quicker handling bike more trail will mean more relaxed handling uh which mm-hmm. can be helpful on soft surfaces if you start sliding and going around, fast down yeah yeah, yeah. it's yeah. it's just a, it makes for a calmer bike for sure yeah um where head tube angle does start to make a difference in its own right though is in terms of toe overlap mm-hmm. you need the front wheel to be far enough in front of the bottom bracket so that the front tire doesn't rub the toe of the forward shoe when the cranks are parallel to the ground. The bigger the tire and the bigger the foot, the more likely it is that someone will experience toe overlap. Also, in the last 10 years, there's been a trend in fitting of moving the cleat closer to the midfoot and away Mm -hmm. from the ball of the foot, which has increased the chance of toe toe overlap because now the foot's a little further forward. Uh, not knowing how tall this rider is or their shoe size, it's hard to say what sort of t- head tube angle could affect toe overlap. But I would, on a gravel bike in general, be concerned if I saw anything steeper than 72 degrees. I'd hope to see something in the 70 to 71 degree range. But again, the first priority is handling and the second concern is toe overlap because you really only get into that as being a possibility in very tight turns at very low speeds. It can happen in switchbacks. And I did encounter it two or three times yesterday. Uh, On your gravel bike. Yep. Yep. I mean, yeah, these well, are I often wondered, like as a smaller person, mm-hmm. I, I have had to struggle with that. Right. You know, my whole, whole life, you yeah. know, because that was a thing for smaller riders for, on the road for a long time. Yep. Um, but I, my, in my mind, I always thought, I guess, that it wasn't as big of an issue for people who were taller. Well, traditionally, it's not on road bikes. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's not really a thing. But the combination of slacker angles and then now moving the cleat back on the foot, which uh, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And me too. And running 28s on a road bike, I can now okay. get I get I can get a little bit of toe overlap. But again, on a road bike, you're never turning that tight, you know, maybe in a parking lot as a group rides rolling out. Totally. Yeah. But 
yesterday, the, the switchbacks we were riding were so tight that, yeah, I tapped my front foot a couple different times. Interesting. Um, but, you know, worrying about toe overlap as a design constraint on a bike is just kind of a pointless thing. You want a, a bike that handles great. You know, mm-hmm. if you get toe overlap, you're at a low speed. The chances of you actually getting hurt from it are pretty slim. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've really got to do something pretty messed up. Okay. His last point regarding tires and the Michelin power gravel and the suggestion that the 35 millimeter size is best is perhaps the option that is, I'd say most up for grabs. Um, I'll say that the Michelin power gravel is a really nice tire. Uh, I'm even currently running the 35 millimeter size on my allied currently. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it's a great tire. However, (laughs) tire choice absolutely needs to be dictated by terrain. The 35 millimeter power gravel is at the absolute limit of what I'm willing to ride on the fire roads in Annadale. The rockier mm-hmm. stuff, uh, particularly this big fire road Canyon, man, uh, it's well, I've pinged the rim on rocks with that tire. Okay. Uh, yeah. uh, I'd have had a flat and a dented rim if I had been running the 33 millimeter size of that tire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if I'd been running the 40, 40 millimeter size of that tire, I'd never have pinged the rim at all. Uh, and then there's the reality that if you were riding lots of pavement, with bits of dirt thrown in. And if that dirt is reasonably firm, you may not even need knobs. So that might not 100%. be the right tire design from the very outset. Um, because of where I live and ride, and because I do ride a lot of pavement getting to and from uh, the gravel rides, unless I just mm-hmm. do a loop through Annadale, uh, my tire of choice is the Donnelly USH, which is kind of mostly herring bone-ish. It's like a deep herring bone. It's, you know, it's not a knobby tire in any traditional sense of the word. It's just 40 millimeters of rubber. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, you know, if it's not, if it's not overly sandy or anything else uh, or muddy, I mean, that's the tire that would really just completely fall apart in the mud. You wouldn't be able to do anything. What's it? The, composite makes a big difference too with that too like some tires are mm-hmm. just grippier than others sometimes like i i run those schwalbe g1s almost always and they have very little tread to speak of i mean they're just those little knobs all the way around but yep yep and a the new way set of those yeah it's hard to find a circumstance where where that tire won't work um i could think on on wet grass in a cyclocross race they they could be become they yeah. could become problematic there i could say that but yep. that's you would want more side bite but yeah th- that's a yeah i mean you're looking for trouble at that point so yeah it's a super versatile tire the michelin power gravel is a, a similar it's a little bit bigger knob um and there are fewer of them mm-hmm. um but it's a it's a really solid tire but uh, without knowing what this rider's terrain is like where they live you know, it's, it's impossible to say, cause if it's, yeah. if it's muddy and there's no rock, then I'm going to say go with the 33. Right. If it's Sandy, you know, and kind of gets loose, you ought to be on the 40. Yep. So it's, there's, there may not be one answer. You just want the one that's right. Most of the time, you know, like that, that is often the case too. Oh, absolutely. but it's funny. We, we did see that, uh, 
in real life at gravel camp because there was a guy who was on a might have been on a diverge but he could only fit 33s he had 33s Ooh. on his bike mm-hmm. and um maybe he's on a tarmac it was one of the more road centric sort of bikes uh and you know i had given a little talk about this very topic like how you decide like how much tire you need and blah 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 and the very next day we went down one of those it was that long day we went down a steep thing that it was like a definitely a b road you know embedded big rocks you know that kind of like Uh a jeep kind of road sort of thing and he double flatted and Uh he was like i understand why you would want more tire now i'm like yeah if you had had because he had 33s i'm like if you had a Oh, he was probably even? on the Roubaix. The Roubaix has been made to accept bigger tires, but the okay, Diverge okay. is a real gravel bike. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. I knew that didn't sound right when I said it. Okay, yeah. it must have been the Roubaix. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, definitely like 33 is, that's Grode territory. You know, it's yep. not, it's not real. Yep. B-road kind of stuff. And, you know, that's something else that we ought to make a point of. You know, for anybody who's thinking about buying their first gravel bike, or has been, you know, looking for a new bike and is thinking, well, maybe I'll get something that handles some gravel. And, you know, felt kind of led the way in that, that tweener. Uh, I can't even think of what the VR was that I'm not sure about the model name, but they were one of the first to do that. And then the Roubaix was opened up so that it could take bigger tires. And there are some other bikes like this out there where, you can fit a 32 or a 33 in there, but not much mm-hmm. more than that. And mm-hmm. the bike shop will pitch that as like, oh, you know, this can be your gravel bike right. too. Right. No, no. And oh, wait, there was one other. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> um, I, I mean. If you are really going to ride any yeah. more than like unpaved roads, yeah. right? Like yeah. then, yeah. then why not just because. There's so many good bikes right now that take monster tires and ride very much like my open, you know, that's a very yep. special bike, but there are, there are definitely other geometries out there. The allied is another that you can, that take all kinds of tire sizes and, and are very comfortable on the pavement and very, they, they, they make all those surfaces very pleasant and take very big tires. Yeah. You're not sacrificing a whole lot. Yeah. And it's one of those things that as we've noted, Having a gravel bike, that's the thing that seems to be the ticket to adventure where you might have a mountain bike and never go on a trip to go do an event. Same for a road bike. But it seems like once you buy a gravel bike, people are like, all right, I'm going to Kansas. I'm going to Oklahoma. I'm going to some some place that's not here. And I love that. And the worst thing that could possibly happen is for someone to think. I've got enough bike to go do this event right. and then get there and be completely oh, in over their heads because they can't put a big enough tire on. Totally. And, and, and in almost any of those events, you won't get very far. Yeah. And you just won't. It, it's, you won't get very far anywhere that I know in the, in, in Arkansas, Kansas, Idaho, <laughs> you know, like it's, they're just, they're that gravel's chunky. Yeah. yeah. And I'm going to, you know, somebody is going to send me a mail bomb or something for saying this, but I am going to say it. This is my line in the sand. If you can't get a 38 in there, it's not yet a gravel bike. Because I think that's fair. I think that's a fair, you got to draw the line somewhere. And I think 38 yeah. is a sweet spot of gravel. So draw that line. There's nothing it. I've ridden yet that I can't get through with a 38. I have I ridden agree. stuff 
on a 35 that I would not go back into a second time. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, 38. I, I, and I said that at camp too. I'm like, the, I think 38 is the sweet spot. I, I think when you get bigger, it's just, unless you're bike packing or doing something, you know, like if I was out doing the DK 350, you know, maybe <laughs> I would consider 42s just because I just want that extra tire and surface and cushion and all that. Yep. But I, you can ride pretty much anything with a 38. Yeah. The, the one thing I'll say is that there are an awful lot of really amazing tires in the 40 millimeter size. And those bikes that are only built to handle up to a 38 really miss out on some killer tires that, that Donnelly USH being one where that, that tire is the sort of thing that people will look at it in a bike shop and think, "Mm, no, I need something more. And it's like, that tire is so amazing. I can do so much in that tire. Um, and so, yeah, having a bike that'll take up to a 40 is nice, but 38, 40, somewhere in there. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like the, the 43 millimeter size of the uh, Panracer Gravel King SK. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I was going to be out for a week uh, doing rides every day and was concerned about like getting beat up over the course of that, that's when I consider a tire like that. Yeah. Yeah. But it's hard to have a bike that will take a 43. Even now? uh, Yeah, there are an awful lot of bikes that really won't take a 43. Um, Yeah, so... Unless you have, like, another set of wheels kind of thing. You you can't even fit them. Like, plenty of frames won't be able to fit a 43. There are a lot of frames out there that can't take a 40. And so that's a a pet peeve of mine right now. Yeah. I can tell. (laughs) (laughs) so um uh, i'll leave my address in the show notes for anybody who wants to mail that mail bomb to me (laughs) all (laughs) righty yeah uh paceline picks i say all right mine is gonna go uh along with my poll i think it's uh mine is just coaching um all right before yeah before i headed off to gravel camp i called Kristen legan And asked if she would take me on for some, uh, quote unquote, low key coaching. Oh, yeah. I have been hunting for this for about a year now, honestly, because I. I I don't remember when I I gave up my coaching, maybe two or three years. It might be three years ago. And just, you know, because I'd done like all these events and I was just ready to sort of like chill a little bit. And I thought I got the fitness. I can just self coach. And that was fine. Um, but I, but I miss, I miss, I like workouts. I like, the, you know, I like that structure here and there. I don't need it all the time, but I like it. And as a coach, I don't want to do it for myself because that's work. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to write my own because I, I just don't want to, I don't want to do that. Like it's, it's work, but it's really hard to find a coach who will work with you if you don't want to use like a power meter for your rides yeah. or to track your data, like it's hard to, you know, I call the couple and they're like, oh, what do you like? Well, how do you know if you're progressing? I'm like, I don't care. And they're like, you know, like, they're, like they're, they, sh- they like short circuit. Cause they don't understand like what I'm saying. And I, I as a coach myself, like I kind of get it. Like I understand that the thinking as, you know, if I put on my coaching cap, you're always thinking that this is a progressive process. You have goals, you have a plan, you periodize, you assess, 
you know, like you progress, like it's the mm-hmm. whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I have always contended that it doesn't have to be like that. Like in my mind, coaching can be a lot like just hiring a trainer at a gym when you just want somebody to tell you what to do, you know, because that seems reasonable. you think because you think planned workouts are fun. You know, like it's, it's <laughs> that part, just, that it's, part doesn't make any sense to me, but please continue. <laughs> well, I understand. I understand. <laughs> like, I know that's not for everybody, but that's where I'm at. I like doing workouts. I like a little structure. I feel, I honestly feel my best when I'm doing high intensity interval work. Like, but again, to write my own plans is not happening as, as disciplined as and self-motivated as I am. I'm not, I just won't do it. I just won't do it. Um, so I was I was over the moon, honestly, when Kristen said yes and that she totally understood what I was looking for. And it was really fun to turn on my Wahoo element on Tuesday and have my workout like pop right up, ready to roll. Because oh. I had forgotten that because I had been synced. I've been synced to training peaks for quite a while. I just reactivated it with her. But like when she writes in the plan and you turn on your a device, it pops up. It's like for that day. And then all you have to do is push start workout. And it talks you through it, which is wow. really fun. Like, it was really great. Like, you know, I, I mean, it was just uh, she gives me three workouts a week, you know, I, and I can like juggle them as I feel or wish. And like, I'm super stoked. Like, I couldn't be happier. So I just it just goes along with sort of like what I was saying about working on other things. Like, it just I'm very glad to have that back into my cycling life again. That's cool. And she's such a neat source for it. We should back up and kind of talk about who she is. So former professional triathlete, Mm -hmm. uh, completely kick-ass cyclocross racer, also completely badass gravel rider, did DKXL last year. Uh, Was that, did she and Nick, uh, her husband, both do it the first year or was it just last year? I want to say she was sick and didn't finish it the first year. Okay. Like I kind of remember something going on with her and she wasn't able to complete it. I I, forgive me, Kristen, if I'm wrong there, but that's my memory, but she has signed willingly signed up and put herself out there. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's one of the more interesting post professional triathlete career riders I've ever come across in terms of what they've developed into next. And you know, she's somebody that you and I deal with at Shimano when we're mm-hmm. discussing, uh, you know, tech aspects of of their product line. So when I have a yeah. when I have a question, uh, you know, I'm I'm uh, well, technically she works for the PR agency. Uh, it's right. her but husband, Nick, who works for Shimano itself. Uh, yeah, but she's she's still your go to person. Yeah. When yeah. You have stuff. Um, and she's super chill. Like, she's yeah. really. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. That's really cool that she was willing to, to take you on in that regard. I'm so stoked. I'm, I am really, cause I can't tell you, I did. I tried a couple people and they, I could just hear them sort of short circuiting. Like they just weren't understanding or, or maybe they, they just thought like it was a disaster waiting to happen. And they didn't want you know, their like, name attached to it. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I'm thinking about that scene in star Wars where they're buying the droids and, and Luke's like, Uncle Owen, this one has a bad motivator. The thing shoots out the top, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> so I was, uh, yeah, I was, uh, that it's, it's great that, that to find, um, just to find somebody that understood. She, you know, she knows my history. She knows all I've done. She knows where I'm at. And she knows that I'm not like 
sitting there putting pressure like I'm not like, oh, I must get on the podium at X, Y and Z and let's blah, blah, blah. And you need to like, it's not all about that. It's just it's a it's another relationship. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm really interested to hear how this progresses for you. And I do hope you'll check back in with us on this, because I think coaching of this sort could be, shall we say, a really helpful gateway drug for a lot of people. hundred percent. I think a lot of people. And that's very honestly, my whole career at bicycling is built on this. Mm -hmm. It is built on, you know, because a, a lot of people struggle like, how you don't even know, like with the readers, like what, like where they're starting. And like, like I, I had, I tell them like, you should be able to ride, I don't know, five hours a week or whatever is your starting point. Like, let's start mm -hmm. there. But most people just need some structure. Yeah. Like that's all they need is a little structure and they see exponential gains Yep. in the gym, in the bike, whatever work, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. Most mm -hmm. people, when you want to like get a little better at something, a little structure goes a long way. And it's just, it's just that simple. Like, you know, the, the very basic plans I write, you know, I have like all the stuff in my head about like what, what, what it should feel like and what their power should be if they were doing the power. But I don't use any of that because mm -hmm. most people still don't have power meters. Right. They're not, you know, like most people don't use them. They're, they're, they're going by how they feel. Yeah. So you have to be, meet people where they are, you know, and I, like that, that I've made a career of that. Like that is the one thing mm -hmm. I'm like, Joe Friel is there for you. If you want to, <laughs> you know, yeah, and that and yeah. I'm not putting that like he's Hunter out there, there for you. Yep. Like when, if you want to go that level and I get it and that, that is amazing too. God let go, like mm -hmm. take it. But uh, to your point, I think it's starting with just a little something. It It's, it, it makes a huge difference. Yeah. I mean, I'm no, I'm no coach. Okay. I have never done coaching of other people, but years ago when I was a contractor for a Southern California Edison and I learned that they had a lunch ride, I started doing the rides with them. Now, initially when I started doing them, they were just Tuesday and Thursday. Why only two days a week? I don't know. And I said, well, what if we started riding more often? So we started riding Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Mm -hmm. And once we got everybody doing that, well, then at that point, you know, we would go out and we'd ride as hard as we could to the turnaround <laughs> point and turn around and come back. And I managed to talk the group into going easy on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. I saw this coming. Yep. <laughs> Just, yep. and they were like one day, only one day hard. It's like, let, let's give it a try. And so we would only go hard on Wednesday. And then I was mm -hmm. still killing myself Saturday and Sunday. Right. Right. So, well, everybody got faster. Yep. Everybody because they faster. weren't just riding sort of comfortably fast the whole time. Mm -hmm. They yeah. were actually putting in some other work and then going really, really, really hard and mm -hmm. like reju rejuvenated. Yeah, totally. Yeah. 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 That was also what resulted in the one day when I attacked on the way back and my friend Phil said, what do I do now? <laughs> so I was all on my way up the trail. I didn't hear about that until afterwards, but that was, that was, it cracks me up to this day. Uh, yeah. So, okay. Oh. Um, what do you got? So remember in our last episode when I mentioned that book by James Nestor called Breath? Mm -hmm. Well, I finished it and it really was completely mind blowing. When I think about the most surprising books of my life, surprising, mm -hmm. not educational, but things that just caught me in a way and I didn't expect. This is now firmly in my top five of all time. Wow. Yeah. That sounds something. 
a few months back, I talked about Matthew Walker's Why We Sleep and Mm -hmm. what a fascinating mining effort into sleep it was. And while it did an amazing job of showing me all the things that can go wrong if you get Mm -hmm. poor or too little sleep, Mm -hmm. you can boil that entire book down to one idea. Sleep eight hours. Okay. Just sleep eight hours. You don't really need to know anything else besides that. If you're having trouble with your sleep, this will help you identify all the other things that are going to come along with that. Mm -hmm. With breath, Nestor chases different kinds of breath. And yes, there are many, there are as many different kinds of breath as there are kinds of bikes, maybe more. Okay. If you've ever read about Buddhist monks who can sit in snow and not freeze to death, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that's a kind of breath work. It's called Tumo. And if you've ever heard of Wim Hof, who is both known as the Iceman and the Breathing Man, what he does and what he teaches people to do, that's an adaptation of Tumo. That is an insane story right there. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Running a full marathon in snow. Yeah. Yeah. Barefoot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, like he's, he's a special character. <laughs> very. Yes. Uh, yeah. but I mean, like I, I want to go do like a, a, a weekend workshop on Tumo or, or, mm. you know, something mm. with Wim Hof. I'm really, really deeply fascinated by that. That's an aside. So Nestor chases not only the biology of breathing down to the cellular level, he even chases it to the subatomic level. Okay, I'm Mm -hmm, not kidding. mm -hmm. He explores why oxygen's reactivity in terms of picking up and releasing electrons makes it so crucial to life on Earth. Okay, I mean, Mm. mind blowing, Mm. mind blowing. Uh, And all this stuff dovetails back into various forms of Eastern thought. Uh, You know, he he goes, uh, uh, gosh, now I'm blanking. But he goes back to the, uh, the valley uh, between Afghanistan and India where yoga was born. Mm-hmm, and they've, mm-hmm. they've found 5,000-year-old figurines of people in yoga poses, okay? And the entire birth of yoga was about breath. Uh, yep. <laughs> so what I, what I will say is that the central idea of breath is to breathe with your mouth closed, with longer, slower breaths. Mm-hmm. You remember how I said in that last episode that I tried riding with my mouth closed to see how Mm -hmm. high I could get my heart rate? Well, a couple days ago, I managed to get my heart rate into the 160s, 163 to be precise. That's above my threshold. Not only was I able to do that, but I was able to back off and get my heart rate down without opening my mouth. That, you know, it's like getting off the mountain, right? It's one thing to get to the top of the mountain. You still have to get home. I managed to back myself off without suddenly going. (gasps) (laughs) Uh, So for anyone who wonders how and whether this book would really be all that applicable to their cycling life, I submit the story he relates of the U.S. track and field team that went to the 68 uh, Olympics in Mexico City. They were the only delegation in track and field that didn't use supplemental oxygen between events. They breathed through their noses even as they competed, and they brought home enough gold to sink a Spanish galleon. Hmm. I, I just, uh, I want to meet this guy. I want to sit down and have lunch with him, or, or maybe a couple beers. Uh, but I, I would like to interview him. I, yeah, I just, I don't remember 
No, I do remember the last time a book surprised me this much. It was 2011 West of Jesus by Stephen Kotler. That was the book mm. that started break. That was the first book I ever read that broke down the neuroscience of flow. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. this is, this is just as bright a light bulb. Uh, so, I mean, I actively work on my breathing now. Uh, I check in with myself many, many times a day to make sure my mouth is closed. And if I'm breathing in a shallow way, I start to slow down and take deeper breaths. Oh yeah. I mean, that alone, I mean, is everything. That, mm-hmm. I mean, that alone is everything that it, it, you, you can't panic if you're taking deep breaths, you know, it, yep. it triggers your parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Oh, and you know, there are other things that popped up along the way that started to shine a certain interesting sort of light on my own past. So, uh, mouth breathing is associated with ADHD. Okay. Mm. Well, when I was a kid, I was super, super allergic growing up in Memphis. Everything under the sun, oh God. <laughs> I mean, everything pollinates in Memphis. Yeah, the yeah, buildings, yes. the dogs, the telephone poles, everything pollinates. Yeah. I was constantly stopped up and mouth breathing. Yeah. And, you know, I think about how it's also associated with depression. Mm-hmm. It's like, I wonder how much growing up in Memphis affected the trajectory of my psychological makeup. It's a fair question. I've read yeah. enough now to say that's a, that is a reasonable question. Um, I'm not looking to point a finger at anybody, blame anybody for anything, but it, it shows me how interconnected all these different aspects of my life are. 100%. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So uh, I, I highly recommend the book. We will, of course, have a link in our show notes. Cool. Oh, I'd say that's a wrap on an episode of the Pace Line. <laughs> I would agree. Okay. Everybody, keep those questions coming. You all are sending great stuff. If you've got an idea, please drop by RKP and put a suggestion in the comments. Don't forget our Pace Line kits from Primal. They're up in the RKP store. We hope you've enjoyed the show. And if you have, please leave us a good review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It makes us easier for other listeners to find. Until next week, I'm Patrick Brady with Celine Yeager. Thanks for listening to The Pace Line.